Welcome in to Revealing Grace. This is a podcast focused on the revelation of God's redeeming grace throughout all of Scripture and the power that it has to transform lives eternally. I'm Chris Sobeck, and here in a moment you'll hear from Dr. Brian Chappell. Now, this is the third and final episode in a three-part series focused on marriage and parenting. In this episode, we'll be taking time to answer questions about the biblical model for husbands, wives, and parents. Now, there are some tough issues that we will discuss as we take an honest look at the challenges that can be faced in these relationships, and especially during this time of a pandemic. In light of this pandemic, we are continuing to practice social distancing, and we used a video conference call to record this episode. So if you would like to watch our discussion, you can visit brianchapel.com and you will find it there. As always, we are seeking to receive the Lord's wisdom as we continue our discussion of marriage and parenting. Well, Brian, uh, here we go again, uh, diving into another episode of the podcast. And as with all the other podcasts, I want to start with a revealing question. So here is my revealing question. Um, Could you share a story about your first car? And I will quickly, I will quickly share a brief story. So uh, the first car that I had had many issues. Uh, I was in college, and uh, the speedometer didn't work, the gas gauge didn't work, I didn't have a side view mirror, and I didn't have a rear view mirror. So as a uh, starving musician, if you will, with a car that really had no sort of meters or really safety measures, for that matter, um, I was coming home from a show very late at night as you might expect. Um, And normally I would gauge my speed and everything based on everyone around me, but there was no one on the interstate because it was like two in the morning. So I ended up getting pulled over by a police officer uh, because I was speeding, um, which I wasn't sure, but he pulls me over and he asked me, do you know how fast you were going? And I was like, Honestly, officer, I have no idea. I have no idea. And he told me. (laughs) Yeah. And he told me, and I was honestly more proud of the car for being able to go that fast (laughs) than that I was upset because I really, I didn't know if it could go over 50 miles an hour, which it did. So um, there's a a brief story about my first car experience. Um, My first car that I owned I went was when I went off to college, so I, I uh, got yeah. a car, and it was I don't remember the, the year, but it was a Plymouth Cricket, which okay. was imported from England for like one year only, which <laughs> means that it was so bad nobody wanted any more, and it also yeah. meant you could get no parts uh, when things went bad. So I did not know until my second car that cars were not supposed to break down every 300 miles. I just thought that's what they did. (laughs) Yeah. I think when you're in college, that is what they do. Yes. And because you're a musician, you will appreciate this. So at some point, because you could get no parts, a mechanic friend of mine took the bellows out of a pump organ and used that as the diaphragm for the carburetor because there were no parts to be had for a Plymouth Cricket. And that carburetor would last only so long as the gasoline did not eat up the bellows. So again, about every 300 miles, you had to rebuild the carburetor. And I thought that was fairly normal too. So (laughs) I learned a lot about cars with a Plymouth Cricket, which I wish now I could forget. (laughs) That's amazing. Now, so my question is, 
did the car sound like an accordion going down the road if you had if you've had the billows from a, a, uh, a pump organ in there no no that's funny that's funny that's amazing all right well okay so to get into things um you know, the last few weeks, the sermon that you, the sermons that you've been presenting have been on Ephesians and talking about um, the role of a husband and a wife and of parents. Um, so maybe you could give us just kind of a high level overview of, of what the general idea for each of those messages were about and what were the directives for each of those people, that being a husband, a wife, and parents. Okay. Well, I'll try to do it from the scriptures themselves. So overarching from... Um, Ephesians chapter five, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. So we are supposed to be reflecting the love that we have received as dearly loved children of a heavenly father in the way that we deal with one another. And the apostle is coming out of the life of the church corporately, the body of life of, of Christ. But then he quickly moves into the body life of the family. So he's saying, if you're going to reflect Christ in your family, what does it mean to be the face of Christ to one another? And that's the first word for everybody, um, is what you're saying, what you're doing, how you're expressing yourself, really being the face of Christ to another. And uh, the apostle address, addresses husbands, and he addresses them as the spiritual head of the home. He says, as Christ is the head of the church, the husband is the head of his wife, head of the family. But then he goes on to say, uh, how, does, how did Christ exercise his authority? He gave himself for his wife. He sacrificed for her. It is not the abandonment of authority. It is not the abuse of authority. It is the use of authority for the sake of another. So that was my primary word to husbands. To wives, it was, what does it mean to be a, a Christian wife? And there, Paul does use the word submit but breaks every stereotype of our culture of what that means. And he's not saying that it means, you know, roll over and play dead. That what submission is, is arranging one's gifts in support of another. It is not suppressing gifts. It is full expression of gifts in behalf of another. And the reason we know that's true is because the example, again, is as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to their husbands in everything, even as to the Lord. It's, it's for the sake of the Lord that you are doing this, to express glory to God. We never say to the church, suppress your gifts. Don't sing too well. Don't think too well. Don't serve too well. We said, no, no. All the gifts that God has given you, bring them to the help of the gospel purposes of your Savior. And so it is not suppression of gifts, but full expression of them for the sake of another. And so that mutual submission that the apostle is talking about is saying to husbands, you use your authority for the sake of another. And to wives, it's saying, use your gifts for the sake of another. And then the apostle turns to parents, and it's so interesting that he would be saying to parents, Listen, it's good and it's right for your child to learn to obey, to honor you. But fathers, spiritual head again, don't exasperate your children. That is, don't require of them what you will not yourself do to honor God. In other words, you are still taking your gifts, your authority, everything in the household, and you're submitting it to the purpose 
of the good, the eternal good of a child, which in Greco-Roman culture was just unthinkable that, that you would live for the sake of another. And yet that is the model that is being given as Christ gave himself for you. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger by living for yourself rather than living for Christ in them. Again, let me say, it is not the abandonment of authority. It is not saying that our children should not be disciplined, but it is saying for their sake that what God requires, desires, and discipline is a fruit, a harvest of peace and righteousness is what we are providing through the way that we treat our children. So I did it, Chris. I, real quickly, I did, I did three hours of sermons and four minutes. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. It, it makes me wonder why it took so long during the sermons if you were able to do <laughs> <Yeah>. it. For <laughs> Now, honestly, the, the last few weeks have been really encouraging and uh, has provided a lot of clarity, which I know is, is often your goal is to, to go to the scripture and to clearly be able to present that. So I know that has been, like I said, encouraging for me. Um, one of the things that we'd love to do in this episode is to address various questions to maybe help provide some of that clarity. Um, so to kind of uh, back up to talking about uh, husbands, um, you know, one of the questions that was asked was when it comes to spiritual headship, um, when does that become spiritual abuse? Uh, and then how would I, how would someone go about uh, finding help? Yeah, which are sweet and good questions, sometimes coming out of really hard situations. Mm. So, and, and I would put in my own place, and, you know, to go back to that message, you know, my early understanding of what it meant to be the spiritual head of the home was I made every decision for our family, every decision for my wife, um, and ultimately it was crushing me. You know, I had to live for two people rather than actually build somebody up to glorify God, thinking, you know, this is all on me. Sometimes the notion of spiritual headship, people enter it with the notion of, I'm going to live for the Lord. And almost without knowing it, it begins to be some sort of selfishness on display. I'm in charge, so I do things to get my way. Instead of saying, no, I do things so that Christ is being shown to another. That Christ's glory, his goodness, the splendor he intends for his children would be being experienced by my spouse. And that changes the definition of headship, particularly if it becomes any version of me, Tarzan, you, doormat. Um, that, that is what is not allowed in the biblical model. And so tough stuff, but this is kind of the after sermon where we are, Chris. So um, sometimes when counselors are dealing with Christian husbands and wives, and they say has spiritual headship, become selfish or abusive, what are some of the signs of that? So this is not pleasant conversation, but we just need to be uh, straight up. Uh, in this pandemic time, what you and I know is um, abuse in homes is skyrocketing. All, all the mental health experts are saying that. Living in close quarters with one another and not able to go about regular habits, some, some hard things can happen. So, um, Things where spiritual headship becomes spiritual abuse. Is, is your spouse physically harming you? The Bible is not permitting that. Is your spouse insulting you or calling you names in order to get some sort of conformity to his or her will? Well, no, 
as dearly loved children is the way the Father is treating us. Face of Christ means we are not trying to shame people into uh, getting some sort of devotion or obedience or uh, conformity to our will. Often abusive people are trying to isolate a spouse from the rest of their family or from their friends, knowing that if there is support system that come into the system, that the dominance is lost. And so if there is enforced isolation or restriction, often tracking a spouse's movements outside of the home or restricting a spouse to the home, unless there is, you know, unless you tell me you can't leave the house, that may sound bizarre. It's actually remarkably common in Christian experience that restriction becomes something. If a husband is getting or a wife getting conformity to their will by threatening, often that's the male uh, for the the woman, sometimes it's sexual blackmail. I will not uh, seek to be a sexual partner for you, though the Bible requires it unless you meet certain demands from me. Sexual blackmail is not what the Bible requires, as it says to us to offer our bodies one to another, man to woman, woman to man, uh, unless for a time that uh, it's needed. And we recognize there are times that uh, all kinds of pressures may come upon persons, but neither uh, dominating threat or sexual blackmail, one party or another restricting financial information from another, again, is part of a control mechanism that I will not share with you our finances or perhaps provide you with finances in order to keep control. Controlling your friendships, uh, not letting you have social media accounts unless, uh, unless you keep them available to me. Uh, unnecessary in a healthy relationship and often quite destructive. Telling people they can or cannot speak in various social contexts without permission, uh, often some form of control or abuse. Uh, you would just say, honestly, uh, pressuring into some sort of uncomfortable sex for one or the other, uh, again, is uh, not what God intends for a relationship that's meant to be deeply fulfilling and deeply loving and not just selfishly uh, controlling of another. And finally, if I'm seeking counsel from a pastor or a Christian counselor and my spouse will not do it or will not let me do it, it is almost always a sign of some form of spiritual abuse, that I will not let you seek help and I myself will not seek help when you're telling me that I need it. Those, those are hard things, Chris, but if, if, if you're wondering, do any of those standards kind of they're like filters to say, are we healthy as we should be? The reason there are such standards that counselors have, I have them, many other counselors have those standards, is we know that often the person least objective to determine if the relationship has become abusive is number one, the abuser, and number two, the abused. I mean, the abused may have totally lost track of what is normal. And it can go on both ways, right? I, I can say, um, oh, he loves me anyway, though he's beating me or hurting me or restricting me. He loves me, so I have to let this go. You know, there can become enough control that I can't think objectively anymore about what is normal and right. Uh, and the abuser, of course, who may have been abused as a child, may view this as normal too. So seek the counsel of the church Seek a Christian counselor. Go to a pastor. You, you may be the least objective person around to say this is normal. 
So if you suspect things are not biblical, if you look at some of these models of what help people determine if abuse is present, and you say, wow, maybe that's going on in my family. Um, talk outside the family to a trusted Christian counselor and uh, get some objective advice. Yeah, that's some real talk, you know. Um, thank you for sharing all that. Um, so, you know, that, that was a question that, I mean, I guess it, it's directed to, toward both husbands and wives, but, um, but some important information to discuss. Um, so some other questions that we have here. One question is, is there any wisdom or encouragement that you can offer to parents of kids with special needs? Yes. And uh, again, quick reminder, a number of people know uh, I have a special needs brother. So I was raised with special needs in a household. I would tell you it was a time that that was not talked about. Uh, mm -hmm. It was something people were often ashamed of that they had special needs in their families. I think we live in a much better time. And one of those aspects of better times is school districts, um, hospitals, special learning experts. There's lots of people to get good advice about the capacities of what a special needs child may have and then how to respond accordingly. I mean, a mistake almost any parent can make is say, well, I have special needs child, so nothing special needs to be done. Or contrary, I have a special needs child, so I just can't do anything for discipline or Christian direction for this child. So, so very important to get uh, the experts um, to give you an idea of the capacity of your child. Um, hmm. I, I, I recognize that uh, probably in, in my own household, my father wanted to take no special needs for a special need child because, you know, just he'll become normal. And a mom who wanted totally to shelter a special needs child and therefore did not let him in some ways grow up. And that was huge tension between my parents. So um, here's sad facts, Chris. Special needs children often lead to the breakup of couples. So uh, couples come undone with a much higher frequency if they have special needs children than if they don't. And so we just have to say, get the good advice. Um, God is not punishing you because you have a special needs child. He may in fact be providing wonderful blessing in your life by teaching you of his care for those who cannot take care of themselves, people like you and me, or even teaching husbands and wives to lean upon one another. When I was growing up, this is going to sound terrible. It was a made-for-TV movie. This is <laughs> this was not greatly <laughs> biblical. It was a made-for-TV movie, and it was about a couple that had a special needs child. And toward the end of the movie, now I was a teen when I saw it with a special needs brother, and this just meant so much to mm. me because I loved my brother so much. And um, the, the woman at the end of the movie said, you know, when, when I was expecting a child, it was like I was expecting uh, to go to London for a great, wonderful family experience. And then my child came and the plane landed in Paris. And Paris is not where I ever expected to be. But Paris was a good location too. And I think at times we discover there can be wonderful things that happen in my heart as the Lord is providing a special needs child to show me the dimensions of grace that I might never myself have understood 
had this not happened. I'm, I'm not saying this is without trial and without trauma. I am saying there is much to learn of the Lord and his grace as we learn the capacities of different children and then unconditionally love as God has unconditionally loved us. Um, by the way, sometimes special needs are discerned uh, not just because a child is born with special needs, but there may be a time of illness. There, there may be a, a time at which limited capacity happens because of accident. And um, I had a Christian doctor at one time say to me, one of the things I have to say to Christian parents when, when their children become very ill or go through accident problems, he says, is, at times their discipline, their fathering, their parenting, their mothering can just go away. I was like, well, my child is hurting so much, I can't require anything of them. <laughs> and the doctor, now he was, he was not always tender in his expression. And he said, I tell parents that when their child goes in the hospital, it's not the time to start raising little monsters. You know? <laughs> and, and of course, we have all kinds of special things to take into care. But, but children are still children who need parents who yeah. say there are still... Uh, um, boundaries, and it's it's not the time to become totally selfish. Uh, I'm still your mother. I'm still your father, and and we're really going to bend over backwards to the hurt you're now experiencing. But but you don't get to hurt other people because you're hurting. And um, anyway, that probably wasn't said very well, but it stuck with me. Yeah. So um, I, another question that came in in a similar vein, and this was. Uh, asking about strong-willed children um, and would you have any encouragement or advice or would you approach things differently with a strong-willed child? Well, in the sermon, we talked about uh, one of our strong-willed children and we, I will tell you, over the course of time, every one of them was strong-willed in different ways. And mm. um, I mean, that's just part of being human. You know, we, yeah, are, for sure. we are rebellious by, by nature, although that may come out in different ways. Um, so the first encouragement I mentioned in the message was a panel of parents reminding Kathy and me at one point, often the child that you struggle with the most is the one that you may be closest to in adulthood. I mean, you just have invested so much that over time you actually get closer. You understand that child better. You, 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 you deal so much more closely maybe with that child that um, there can be a light at the end of the tunnel. Not always. It's a broken world. It's a fallen world. But, but that was encouragement to us at the time, mature parents who were telling us that. The other thing for a strong-willed child that we mentioned in the sermon is learning the uniqueness of our children. Sometimes we reinforce the strong-willedness of a child by not ourselves adjusting to the personality and uniqueness of that child to say we're going to force them into the mold of our other children. Instead of saying, maybe now I'm being strong-willed and I may need, I'm not allowed to say there's no discipline. God does not give me that option. But I certainly can find different ways of approaching different children. And, and that, that is not being unfair to have different ways with different children. It is saying, I need to stay on my toes, on my knees in prayer, reading the books, understanding the child, going to the counselors if necessary, going to the experts. I do not have the right to just turn this child over to the devil. That is not my right. Mm -hmm. um, but 
I do have the responsibility of seeking to discern over and over what is best for this child and not just kind of sticking to my guns when that is not necessarily what God, but listen, there are strong-willed children and we, we do not give up. Um, we, we recognize God has called us to deal with that strong-willed child. And that can be hard when you have very compliant children and then you have some who are very strong-willed and uh, you may find that they actually switch places at different phases of life. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say. You may, you may have <laughs> a very compliant child that's very sweet and then one day like something happens and they're seemingly not. I, I'm discovering that a little bit as uh, we've got two very young boys that are, um, you know, developing. So I got one that's just about to turn three and one that is only seven months. And <laughs> our three-year-old is wonderful, but he is becoming a three-year-old uh, and that <laughs> yeah. brings its own challenges with it. So that uh, it's good well, advice that you shared. We, we had, we had the child, um, that if we, if we look, we actually had a couple of these. If you look, if you even looked frowning at them, they would just burst into tears. I mean, they just <laughs> could not take parental disapproval. And because this is now the podcast and not the sermon, we had another child that we referred to as steel buns because there was, <laughs> there, there was nothing that was going to get the attention of that child in the way of spanking or corporal punishment. And we had to change entirely how we approached that child because, and we told a little bit of the account of that child in the message that we were actually adding to the problem by trying to physically get control rather than by calm reaction and taking sensitivity out of the system uh, being our means of control. And I think we had to learn different things for different children. Which I think is always good advice to to realize that every child's different. <laughs> so, um, you know, we've been talking about raising children. Um, there was a question that was asked here, and it was in regards to um, a couple who suffered a miscarriage. Um, and so they may be desperately longing to parent, um, but for whatever reason, um, you know, face something as, as sad as, as a miscarriage. So what sort of advice might you have um, for this individual who asked this question? The pain is real and it doesn't go away. And people who have not had miscarriages don't understand that. Um, you know, they think, well, this, this child wasn't fully developed and you didn't have a full relationship with the child and, and just get over it. And, or you will get over it soon. And, um, you know, the best thing I ever read on uh, the parents of uh, children who have been miscarried was written by Dan Doriani. Uh, he's a professor and pastor at Covenant Seminary. He's spoken in our church a number of times, but I would just send our, our family and friends at Grace to um, the web and look up um, the article on miscarriage by Dan, first name Dan, last name Doriani, D-O-R-I-A-N-I. And uh, Dan and his wife, Debbie, have experienced uh, miscarriage and understand the long pain and the long wondering of that. And uh, they talk about the grace of God and the eternity that God prepares for those that he is drawing to himself at whatever stage of life they may be, and the long-term comfort that can be, even as we have tears and dreams and wonders for years to come. So I, I think the best thing I can say is um, 
you don't have to get over it right away. Your pain is real. It may last a long time. Um, but the Lord is still there to equip you, if not physically, to spiritually nurture others, even out of the hard experiences you may have had. That's not a complete answer. I, I would look, again, to advise people over more than what we're just talking with here, to look up that material by Dan Doriani, who's really a special man with a, with a good message for parents who have, who have suffered through that, that heartache. I know that uh, since we had mentioned that there uh, was an opportunity for people to ask questions in a, in a time of Q&A, um, that questions have continued to come in. I don't know if there are any questions that, you, that you've received that maybe we should address or, um, like I said, there's, there's stuff that continues to come in. Uh, I think this is something that is of great interest. Uh, and uh, I would encourage people, actually, I mention this in the open and close every time, but if people want to send questions to the podcast, they can send them to revealinggrace at brianchapel.com. So just a reminder that you can, in the future, uh, send more questions. Well, I'm, I'm going to do some of these quickly, uh, Chris, because I recognize you enough now to know you're trying to wrap it up. And so, <laughs> <laughs> what so, are you talking about? <laughs> so I'm, I'll, I'll try to go quickly because some of these are important. And I, I want to refer people. Um, how to, what if you've got different kinds of children in the family, biological children, foster children, adoptive children, children of vastly different ages. So let's say discipline needs to be the consistent it does not need to be the same mm. so in whatever way it's appropriate to be disciplining particular children we have to be consistent in that now now we raised children of very different ages and it was always the case of our older children that they would say of the younger mom and dad you didn't let us get away with that but then if we tried to discipline the younger they would say you are such harsh and ugly parents for disciplining their little <laughs> siblings. So what we did was we said, all right, you older siblings, you are also responsible to help us parent these children. And at first they reacted against that. And then it was wonderfully unifying to our family. Now the older did not discipline the younger, but we did say you have responsibilities for these children, for their care, for their nurture, for their protection, for watching over them to let us know things if, you know, things have gotten away from us. And mm -hmm. we did not make the younger, the older children uh, responsible for discipline. That's a mistake. But to say you can help us raise these children makes them even more responsible. And I think when you have children at different ages, different levels of responsibility, my mother raised six children. And she taught us that when we had children of very different ages. She said, I always needed the older to help with the younger. And that's not such a bad model if the older, again, not disciplining the younger, but they are feeling responsible to help guide the younger, that, that can be an important thing. If, if you have biological and foster children or adoptive children, which means you, you can discipline in some ways biological children that you cannot by law, with some foster or adoptive children, then I think you just have to say that plainly. You know, I'm going to be consistent in discipline for these children, but it's not the discipline that we can do for you. And we love you and we're going to love you enough to discipline you, but it can't be the same for every child. And I think you just have to say that plainly. It does not give you a reason to be inconsistent in your discipline. And uh, Chris, you were, you were asking me about, other important questions that we just wanted to make sure we covered. Um, if I can, I, I do want to say 
people ask Kathy and me our favorite Bible verses on parenting. And mm-hmm. um, for me, my mother is the one with all those kids that uh, taught it to me. She said, this is always true, no matter how far my kids have strayed, and some very much strayed, those who know this church and my pastoring, know some of my mother's kids have really strayed. But uh, the verse she uh, always said was her favorite parenting verse was, I have no greater joy than to know that my children walk in truth. And if you look at that 3 John 4 passage, you'll recognize that my mother still prays for some wayward children. Um, because it's not magic that we would expect our children to walk in truth. But that's the fundamental prayer of every Christian parent, why we parent as we do. We know that eternity uh, hangs in the balance, and we have no greater joy than to know that our children walk in truth. And for that reason, we are consistently the face of Christ to our children in discipline, in pardon, in unconditional love, and the priority of their eternal care. So another question that we have here uh, before we go was how can parents handle difficult topics like say homosexuality or suicide or drugs? <laughs> or the talk. Um, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> you know when, I, when I had the talk about sexuality to my, to my sons, they were too young. Something had happened in our neighborhood and, you know, I, mm-hmm. I had to address the, the talk before sure. I was ready or they were ready. And we went to a park across the street, and I gave them the talk. And when I came back, my uh, wife, uh, a little concerned for our sons, um, asked my boys, uh, uh, boys, what did you all talk about with your dad? And my youngest son at the time said, I don't know. Dad (laughs) just used a lot of bad words and said stuff we don't understand. And (laughs) and (laughs) so don't follow my (laughs) example. Um, a better example to follow for some hard topics, but uh, homosexuality, violence, um, what's my gender? How do I deal with the opposite sex? How do you have the talk? The focus on the family website is a great website for getting some ideas on difficult topics. Uh, those very things that we were asked in, the, uh, in this program for questions, Chris, um, a family was really struggling with something recently. That's where I went. You know, I mean, I can say different things as they come to me, but I did go to the focus on the family website and looked at a particular topic and said, I'm I'm just going to get a briefing on this before I talk with this family. And it was very, very helpful. And uh, so I don't mind at all saying uh, this pastor doesn't have all the answers, um, but that's a a great website for a lot of difficult family subjects uh, and thoughtful biblical answers. And I, I really trust them a lot. And I think to add to that, um, you know, you just said there at the end, thoughtful biblical responses. I think um, maybe you don't know initially where to look in the scripture, but if you say you go to focus on the family, um, it can be a good starting point to then be able to look at what the scripture actually says. um, And when you may not even know where to begin, uh, because that's what we always measure our responses against is what the word of God says. Yeah, because, you know, I'm I'm not saying focus on the family has the final word. It doesn't, Uh, nor do I. Uh, The Lord has the final word, and uh, his word, as we noted again and again, does not have every answer for every question of, you know, when when do you stop, you know, when do you start bottle feeding, and when do you go to solid food, and I mean, the Bible's not answering those questions that way. We have judgment to make, but it's out of that foundation of 
a love for the Lord, a love for the spouse, and then a love, no greater joy than to know that my children walk in truth. Is, is that what's guiding me in all of these decisions as we go, rather than is my child embarrassing me or doing what I say? Um, those are not the fundamental questions. The fundamental questions are, is my child honoring my Savior? And uh, that I need to be very much more concerned about. Hmm. Well, Brian, thank you for your time. Uh, I know that um, there, I'm sure, will continue. As long as people are parenting, there will always be more questions that they have as to how they should parent. Um, And uh, just in regard to this passage as a whole, uh, talking about husbands and wives and parents, I, I believe it's been very helpful for people um, and, and just thank you for providing your biblical wisdom, um, you and Kathy. I know she wasn't able to be a part of this conversation, but um, it's just been so encouraging. So, so thank you once again, Brian. Thank you, Chris. And, and for our, our folks who wrote these questions in, we, <laughs> we know there's many more. Thank you for being honest with us and, and we do the best we can. The Lord will walk with you through all the trials. Kathy and I have been on our knees more than once praying for children. Hmm. When you do that, it doesn't mean you're a bad parent. I mean, the bad parent would be the one who does not get on his or her knees to pray. Uh, even the best parent in the Bible, uh, that, that was the, f- the father of the prodigal son, had a prodigal son for a while. And for that reason, we know that the, the waywardness of our children does not mean we've been bad parents. Uh, we're only bad parents when we give up. So uh, hang in there, pray seek the Lord's counsel, and keep loving that child. I really hope you've enjoyed this three-part series on marriage and parenting. It has been such a joy to hear from Brian and Kathy, to hear their hearts, and to to hear their wisdom uh, from their experiences. If this has been a blessing to you, whether this is the first episode that you've listened to or you've been listening all along, uh, I encourage you, please subscribe uh, to the podcast. And also, if you have any questions or any thoughts, um, you can send those comments to revealinggrace at brianchapel.com and we will review those and maybe answer any sort of questions you might have in the next episode of the podcast. If you are interested in additional resources that can help you in your ministry or your personal walk, I really encourage you to visit brianchapel.com. You can view sermons, various videos and illustrations, um, or even if you want to receive additional training, pastoral training, ministry training, you can check out the courses section as well. The website continues to grow. We have new multilingual resources, and we're always adding new content. So I really encourage you to check that out and hope that that can be a blessing to you. Thank you once again for listening to this episode. I hope that you've enjoyed it, and we look forward to having you join us again for the next episode of Revealing Grace.